Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself wrap up our discussion with Christian rap artist The Flame. Today, we talk a little bit about the Christian music industry and also theological content within the Christian music industry. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, joined with Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brian Ricky and, and Flame joins yeah. us for an interview. Ah, thank you all for having me. Glad to be here. We're going to shift gears a little bit, talk about music a little bit. Okay. So please. half of my life, I didn't enter into seminary until I was 40, and I was actually in, in the music industry for a while. And um, I toured with a band called Mint Condition. I don't know if you ever heard of those guys. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nice, I toured nice. with them for like 14 <laughs> years, and I, I recorded and mixed a couple of their records, and it was a blessing. And they kind of like taught me, man, a lot about hip-hop and stuff like that. So you yeah. mentioned cross-movement, which is interesting, because I actually ran sound for them once when they were in Minneapolis. So, Are you serious? Yeah, that, wow. was, that was cool. <laughs> but okay, so you've kind of got like the first wave of secular hip-hop artists. you got like Africa Bimbata, Cool Herc, and yep. the Furious yep. Five, Cold Crush, and then you got kind of the second wave of Curtis Blow, LL Cool J, and, and you know, leads into Run DMC. Who yep. were those first and second waves in Christian hip-hop? Man, so I would say um, now... It obviously varies in terms of who you ask and, and what their age is. But for <laughs> me, for me, the guys that really uh, were the first wave would be guys like Cross Movement. There was a group called uh, Idol Kings mm-hmm. based out of somewhere in California. Um, those were the dudes who really laid the blueprint for articulating Christian theology in a hip hop format. And in particular, I think in context, um, Islam had the most dominant sway on young hip hoppers, particularly the nation of Islam. So I think guys like Cross Movement, Idol Kings and the like really were focused on, uh, you know, intelligently engaging Christian thought through rap music to, you know, really push back against that sway that was coming out of hip hop. Would that be like like guys like Rakim that were kind of really along those lines? Okay. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Guys like him. Um, and then, and it was other, like, I guess, like ethnocentric sects, like your five percenters, your Hebrew Israelites and all Mm -hmm. these like branches off of, I mean, I don't really know how to perfectly understand because they don't really have a lot of systematic writings, but just a bunch of those guys were also influencing hip hoppers. And so cross movement idol Kings are really helping young Christians think through their faith in a way that use simile, metaphor, allegory, storytelling. And it was just helpful if you didn't have a seminary training or a healthier church in that regard. Okay. So, yeah, you know, that was, that was good for us as young kids kind of learning that. And then, um, fast forward, there was the next wave, which I would articulate, probably understand it being guys like myself, uh, Lecrae, the truth, who's now the dude I'm doing a podcast with. And, um, a couple other guys, but for the most part, you know, we were the younger, generation underneath cross movement who kind of started that second wave and then as uh lecrae branched off and started his own record label i branched off started my own record label um there became a third wave which includes guys like guys like trip lee um mike real and tadashi and so on and so forth and then now you have an entirely new cluster of rappers who are um younger and they've kind of shed off some of the didactic usage of mm. 
you know, theology in their music and, and they're more so, I guess, probably being um, in their minds just, I don't know, just regular positive contributors to music as Christians, mm-hmm. which is cool, which is cool, too. And it has its place. So that's kind of the terrain in a nutshell of how I understand, you know, Christian rap and its contribution to church history and just hip hop history in general. So the 116 project was was kind of in the part of that second wave? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. That was really um, the younger guy saying, man, we love what Cross Movement gave us. Let's, you know, sort of repackage it in this more youthful expression. And uh, yeah, so they contributed much in that way. And um, yeah, it really just took off and went to another level. Mm. And at that point, yeah, I think around that time, we all were sort of moving into Calvinism hmm. at, at the same time. So, you know, probably the new Calvinism that really sparked around 2005, mm-hmm. I would say we probably were some of the major components to exporting it <laughs> to the world, <laughs> um, you know. So, so, yeah, so yeah. were you kind of like uh, the the hip hop answer to the young, restless, and reformed movement of that time? Is that kind of going on at the same time? Um, I, 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 so when you say the the um, restless and reform, are you meaning well, like you, after people were sort of over? Well, you were talking about the new Calvinist Calvinism, and it's yeah. it's I I hate to make the connection now, but hindsight is twenty twenty. Is like when no, guys yeah, like yeah. like Mark Driscoll arrived on the scene, there was uh, this okay. label of this reawakening of of you know doctrinal thought, and they yeah. they they were labeled um, you know by like Christianity Today and stuff like that as the young, restless, and reformed. Uh, and I, I'm kind of wondering if the same sort of thing was going on in hip hop and kind of coinciding yeah. with that, or if there's a correlation at all. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I would say some type of way, some strange way, we all kind of came up together. So a bit more about my story at like really before Driscoll kind of came on the scene, I was at a school called Missouri Baptist university in St. Louis. And, uh, there was a there were a couple of students who were already listening to John Piper like mm-hmm. really heavily, mm-hmm. and um, a, you know a handful of the professors there were also Calvinistic, so I was really you know ingesting those ideas in Bible college say around two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand four, and um, I was exposed to James White, Paul Washer, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. And earlier on, like 2004, 2005, I started to write and include their names in my music, um, you know, excerpts from their sermons in my music. So around <laughs> 2004, 2005, it organically happened for me, just being in MOBAP. And then sometime in that space, Driscoll comes on the scene and you're right. And so we all, I guess, sort of came up together and found each other just through the Internet and like minds. But, um, yeah, so I, w- I would say we were definitely a part of that on a hip-hop level. And really just, it just was just this collaboration and combustion of reformed thought that just all happened at one time. Now, the way it sort of plays out in my mind, I'm hoping that, and I don't know the mind of, I don't know the mind of God, but yeah. I'm hoping that in some way this leads to um, 
exploring Lutheran thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amen. I think all of us are. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're, th- we're there with you. Yeah. That's you, what I'm hoping. To, yeah. I, have, I have a question here about, um, you know, you made this theological shift. Um, what's it been like to practically be a Lutheran? You know, you, you've had this project that is is very Lutheran in, in theology, but has there been any Lutheran cultural things that have been hard for you to to deal with, or has it been kind of a seamless transition to being a Lutheran as like a church member and and in all of your vocations in your life? Yeah, great question. I love that. Um, so I was sharing with someone that I, I guess I sort of had an idealistic transition in that through the academy, I was exposed to Lutheran thoughts. So I wasn't really um, engulfed in Lutheran culture per se on a ground <laughs> level. So I had a, I just had a great presentation of Luther's ideas. Yeah, you know, pro- proper pushback whenever was necessary. Um, I'm with the you know the students who are most interested in this topic, and uh, so it was a, it was a, a sweet experience in that regard. Mm. Um, and even some of the things that had I just joined a Lutheran church and found out on my own at the on the academic level, I was able to hear from persons like Dr. Aaron who I remember my first semester there, he was explaining why um, Lutherans may be considered more introverted. So I may have, I, I, I may have found I that, that out I on my that. own. <laughs> yeah, but I may have found that out on my own had I joined the church and, you know, kind of been like, yeah, okay. But he articulated in such a way where it made sense. He explained, the, you know, the migration to these states from Germany and in the, in the Midwestern region and sort of this agenda to preserve the culture and the, and the, and the doctrine. And uh, so I, I sort of I, I understood that that made sense to me. And I didn't really feel some of the angst that I may have felt had I learned it on my own from just being a, a member at a church. So in the many ways, I had an ideal, idealistic experience. Um, but. So when I first, my wife and I, we visited our first Lutheran church, probably my <laughs> second year at the seminary. Because even my first year, I was still like scared to go to a Lutheran church. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I don't know. That's going too far, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but eventually we did. And uh, it was so different. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I knew a, a little bit because of chapel services. And, um, but still being in church, experiencing church life, the liturgy and, um, a, a few of the churches would call the children to the front and, and talk to them as if we're not there. And it was just, you know, just all these different, you know, components to the way, you know, liturgy is ran or what we could call church service at the, what I, how I understood it then. So, um, that was a bit weird. I was like, but I like it. It's different. I like it. Mm. And, um, but I did notice that. Um, I was like, man, I don't know if Lutherans are influential in, you know, the African-American circle. I knew that in Africa, um, Lutheranism is thriving because of the students at the school. Hmm. But I was like, man, I I wonder, is there a history that um, exposes where Lutheranism touched the inner city? So I began Hmm. to kind of notice things like that and just get curious about that. Um, so, so for me, it was a bit easier because of my theological journey. I have been stripped down to the bare bones Mm. where I no longer prioritize things like style of music, 
the like the coolness of the church service. <laughs> like I literally do not care about those things at all. Like I feel like just my journey has caused me to really just want to hear the word of God, you know, nice. taught properly. And I just want to understand how to use my gifts and my skills in the world. So that's where Luther's understanding of vocation was even so freeing uh, because it helped me have better uh, uh, categories to think about what God expected from me mm-hmm. because I had just a higher view of doing things for God, you know, mm-hmm. do your rap, do your rap music for God. Everything had to be for God. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have a very strong understanding of Coromundo mm-hmm. Mundo where vocation works left to right for the sake of my neighbor. That just, yeah. that category was very vague. If, if at all really, you know, there. So yeah, I'm really enjoying now having been in a Lutheran church for, you know, approaching two years now. Um, and even as I sit with my pastor, we're already thinking of ways to include mm. what I do in reaching the community and, mm. and just kind of, so I'm excited. I'm excited. So we, you talked about your journey, and so my wife grew up in a different denomination as I became a Lutheran pastor. I can't say yeah. that for her it was as exciting as it was for me. <laughs> so how is, how is your, your wife um, with all of this? Like, how, how is she weathering this massive shift and going to a different denomination? Yeah. So at first, so my wife has her uh, PhD in psychology. So um, we've had No hiding anything from her. <laughs> No, not at all. So, so she's her, her like she's functioning on all pistons as to <laughs> what are, what is going on inside of you. Why, like, like what are these changes in you from a theological standpoint, from a personal standpoint? So it just made for great discussion. And uh, so she's giving she on the front end she was just giving so much helpful pushback, mm-hmm. you know, because um, she has always been as well uh, thoughtful about her faith and. Um, and knows the scriptures and, and a lot about church history. So on the front end, man, she was really actually helping me develop questions to ask mm. at school. Mm-hmm. You know, so as we would talk out loud about, you know, whether it's baptism, infant baptism, real presence, she's like, hmm. But if, <laughs> if, 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 if that's the case, then what about this? If, yep. You know, and we, yep. so I was like, that's a good question. I, I don't know how to answer that. So let me, let me go ask uh, Dr. Beerman that question. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was happy to answer that question. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, so eventually I had a lot of, you know, it wasn't resistance for her. She's just like, help me understand it and articulate it clearly so that I can get it, you know? Mm. So we just, I, on the front end and even now we just continue to have great discussion, great questions developed and, uh, 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 she just was like, man, this seems to be leading us in the right direction. I'm happy. Hmm. Um, but yeah, let's keep talking about it. But hmm. now she's, she's fully on board. Um, yeah, she's, she's my number one supporter on the, the days where, you know, the negative comments get too crazy. Hmm. She's, she's in my, in my corner, like hanging hmm. there. Awesome. We believe, we believe God's doing something. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you had talked a little bit about Christian hip hop and, and you talked about the third wave kind of leaning more toward just life as a believer, not as didactic. Um, yeah. First, how do you feel about that? And do you kind of see that pattern in Christian music in general that we've just kind of lost the passion uh, for talking about God properly and theologically uh, in a way that honors him? 
Yeah, you know what? Great question. I think um, so. With what's going on now, at, it, it, with my Calvinistic mind on, and I always say that's like this. There's like a Calvinistic rubber band in my mind that <laughs> sometimes when I when I stretch out into Lutheran thought, it tries to snap me back into <laughs> you know my my Calvinism. Uh, so even while I was at Concordia, just thinking through this shift in Christian rap music. A large portion of it was discouraging because I felt like we're veering away from doing music for God. Mm. And and I thought that that was a failure on our part in a way that says we're leaving faithfulness to God and we're drifting to worldliness. And um, that was sort of like my black and white perspective of it. Um, but as I continue to learn and, and understand vocation, it gave me this third category for how artists may now be understanding that they can use rap music as a, a, a sort of career choice as long as their music doesn't disrespect authority, disrespect women, is still um, is drawing on their Christian worldview as they choose topics to discuss and in that way they can still be influential in the culture and behind the scenes they can develop relationships with people and expose their faith eventually so i started to sort of calm down a bit and see the good in it um but i think it's sort of swung to the other extreme in that less rappers were interested in the didactic perspective altogether so for me, it was helpful to understand that while Luther was articulating a strong doctrine of vocation, he himself didn't stop writing didactically. Um, he himself didn't veer from writing hymns that were based on the scriptures, based on the Psalms. So it, mm -hmm. it helped me to say, hey, we can do both. So let's let's be free enough to help kids who feel like I don't I don't have a passion for theology. I don't have a passion for Bible talk in my music to help free them up to not feel like they're less holy or less spiritual, while at the same time, I don't have to abandon encouraging young kids who still want to share their faith and unpack New Testament content. I can still encourage them to do so, as well as be secure in that that's where I find my joy in music, sort of following Luther's model in that regard. So it really helped me to gain a better paradigm for even talking about what I do myself. And now what I want to do is to carry both of those things in the balance. And I want to kind of sort of discern when I'm talking to a, a young artist where their passions lie and, and then help push them in the right direction. So when I meet young kids who say, man, I love rap music, I love scripture, but the prevailing spirit of the day is to not rap didactically because that's sort of a distraction and it pushes people away from Christianity. Now I can say more confidently, well, um, if you feel passionate about doing that, do so. But if you sense within yourself that you're reaching over into um, someone else's passion and you don't think you can handle the scriptures well or church history well enough to articulate them without confusing people or heaping unnecessary division, then steer away from it. So I would like to think that now um, I have a better way of sort of 
gauging where young artists are and I have a more wide range, hmm. you know, advice to kind of draw on, thankful to Lutheran's doctrine of vocation. Yeah, so you gotta, that's really what vocation's all about is you do what you do with excellence, but it's done mm. in service for your neighbor, and that's where yeah. the value is found at. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's freeing people because, so the, the young artists that develop their ideas in relation to vocation was not from Lutheran thought. Um, and there are a few pastors, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say their names, but there were a few books written, a few things that were said that wasn't quite like as healthy as Luther's articulation of vocation. So I think there was this negative view of um, didactic forms of music, as well as there was this, this hierarchical um, placement that they gave to music that was just positive and just kind of, you know, floaty and, and happy. Like they felt like that was the more, I don't know, I guess, approachable way to use music in a way that I think was unhealthy. So even when I talk to young artists who feel like, hey, I have the liberty to just do regular music, I like to bring in um, Luther's, you know, Corum Deo, Corum Mundo discussion, because I think it's a it's a, a more health. Those are the probably the healthiest terms to talk about it in. So it's not that you're disconnecting your vocation from God, right? It's 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 just that God doesn't need your rap music, but you still <laughs> you still you still stay connected to what's informing the mm-hmm. spirit of how you do music is God, and that should provide parameters as you think about serving your neighbor. So you shouldn't rap about you know taking your shirt off and dancing crazy at a party because you can. Now you have to think about how does that reflect your Christian experience and how would that actually serve your neighbor to highlight that kind of thing. So it's just a, I think it's just a healthier way mm-hmm. to say, though we keep these things separate, they're still related to one another. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think young artists are appreciating even that nuance angle rather than the one they got it from that sort of set them free to just rap regular stuff. So I've got a question kind of along those lines and something uh, I'm curious about, uh, mostly because I don't have an artistic bone in my body. So <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's a foreign uh, concept to me, but I, I really want to know how you're handling it. You, you've already kind of mentioned you've got your Calvinist brain and, and your Lutheran brain. I yeah. want to know how Flame, the well-trained Lutheran theologian... <laughs> interacts with flame the artist's music from the past oh man (laughs) because i'll give you perspective from my end of things and 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 it probably doesn't relate at all but i look back and i've been a pastor for about 10 years now and Mm -hmm. i look back to sermons that i've preached (laughs) on on topics that i didn't necessarily understand lord have mercy and and even though i might have written a good sermon i look back and and, and actually right now a great example of that because 
of Dr. Bierman is I look at my understanding of two kinds of righteousness now, and yeah. I look at the ways that I tried to preach about sanctification my first couple mm-hmm. of years out of seminary, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, you you tried your best. <laughs> so, I mean, you're obviously a talented artist, and you've got experience in the industry, but we're, yeah. you're also dealing with this aspect of content, and I want to know how that plays itself out in your life right now. Man, that is, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 on the Extra Nose Project, I, I felt compelled to um, directly address yeah. a yeah. particular song that I wrote yep. in 2008 mm-hmm. called Who Can Pluck Us? And the reason why I wanted to is because it was a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. And over that 18-year stretch of time, so many people have thanked me for that song and have pinpointed it as you know the straw that broke the camel's back that helped them become calvinistic in their thinking so even (laughs) as a i mean right before i graduated from concordia i had a concert in uh sacramento california and there was this guy who came up to me after the show almost in tears thanking me for the song who can pluck us and how god has just really used that to grow him in his faith and i'm thinking like Man, do I even tell this guy? (laughs) I was literally stumped. Like, I mean, he's almost in tears. Thank you, bro. Just, I mean, the song helped him in his personal life and things with his family. And so I was like, do I just literally strip the joy and life out of this guy right now? Or do I just (laughs) let him live with it? You know, Um, so things like that really, when I approached Extra Notes, made me say, you know, I don't necessarily recant on everything I said, um, sort of like Luther, like, hey, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Do I have to? <laughs> Here I stand. <laughs> do I have to, <laughs> exactly. Do I have to, you know, recant on everything I wrote? No, but um, there are things that, or I would say in particularly, uh, are particularly unhelpful at the least and dangerous at the worst, you know? So with that song, Who Can Pluck Us, I was really just argue, arguing for double predestination um i was arguing for uh based upon a book of first john a list of things that you should examine yourself up against to determine if you're actually a christian and when i think about that it became unlivable for me Mm. you know Mm. so i was like i cannot let that song stand without confronting it Mm. if even in my own personal life it's unlivable it's inaccurate it doesn't represent first john and even the sermon that i got it from um it's a popular sermon so i can say his name john MacArthur preached a popular Mm. sermon where he Mm. he actually gave that list so i really wanted to confront that song and um and I just walked people back through First John and the context. And I, I even apologized on the song. And so for that reason, a lot of people are like, are you going to denounce all your music? Are you going to do songs <laughs> confronting all your past songs? <laughs> and uh, no, I, I won't do that. But I will be careful and clear to mm-hmm. bring up problematic things that I've said in the past. And uh, while still trying to be respectful to the people that hold those views, but at the same time, I can't with a clear conscience not at least expose you to helpful contrast. Mm. I just, I have to do that. And and last, one thing I'll say is just 
for 18 years, I haven't said out loud or even thought that Jesus died for everyone. And I remember the first time I said it out loud, it felt so good to say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just on a pragmatic level. I was like, for 18 years, I've been mm-hmm. traveling the world. I've looked into people's eyes from almost every nation, and I could not tell them that Jesus died for them. And I remember mm-hmm. trying to find a way to s- express Jesus's love, you know, but I couldn't do it in, in that universal way. And those times would bother me. So I do feel a newfound joy to be able to say, no, Jesus did die for us all. Amen. And and I want to be able to champion that out loud mm. and say, in the, in the last 18 years, I haven't said that. I haven't thought rightly about that. And I think people will begin to see God's love in a way that they hadn't from my music because of things like that. I just had the honor of proclaiming that message last night at Ash Wednesday that wow. Jesus died yeah. for all. And, um, yeah. you know, though people in their sinful nature reject that, he yeah. died for all. And um, yeah. I love that word in Scripture. Last Amen. question. Yeah. Young aspiring artists kind of looking to you. What would be the one thing that you would want to impart to that young artist who wants to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, absolutely. So for the artist that wants to follow in my footsteps, who's thinking, man, I love I loved Jesus. I love music. I love people. And I want to articulate my faith in music. Um, and I don't know what particular denominational background you're from, but one of the most freeing things for me as I began to um, embrace Lutheran thought was the liberty to understand that my brothers and sisters are also in Rome, in the Ethiopian church, in the Coptic church. And it was this, it was this thing that Dr. Beerman, who while being, you know, unapologetically Lutheran, didn't have to strip away salvation from Christians in a wider um, expression of Christianity. And I'm saying that to say, um, whoever the listener is, if you're not Lutheran, don't be afraid to explore Lutheran thought because your particular denominational background has a more narrow perspective of who's actually a Christian, who actually contributes healthy Christian thought. That was so freeing for me to hear Dr. Bierman vouch for other brothers and sisters in the faith worldwide while still having the freedom to critique and to contrast some ideas that they may uphold that as Lutherans, we don't see the same. So I want young artists to not be afraid to read things from the Book of Concord. Don't be afraid to purchase a Book of Concord and <laughs> begin to walk through it and, and think about what it says in relation to what you've been taught. And then you'll at least have a wider range of consideration. Um, and then as you visit the scriptures, prayerfully, you'll see that what Luther was doing was not trying to develop a system but trying to take us to the plain reading of the text. And I think that's the most freeing thing when non-Christians hear just that God loves them, um, that the elect is for all who would believe. If you believe, then you can be one of God's elect. 
Um, and it's just the plain reading and, and how Luther brought me back to, uh, I would say, a better understanding of Paul and the New Testament content that frees me to be more creative in my songs. I feel like I have new topics I can discuss uh, from a Lutheran standpoint uh, in terms of identity and what it means to be human and those things people are really thinking about. And right now there's this sort of obsession with um, in the non-Christian world with spirituality and things outside of us and everyone's kind of moving to Eastern thought. I love how Lutheranism includes paradox and mystery. I think these things will be attractive to the non-Christian world. And so for that reason, I believe with Lutheran understanding, we have the prime expression of the gospel for the climate today yeah. that will be attractive and God can create faith in people through the way we articulate what it means to be human and how to be right with a holy God. So young artists read, listen, have an open mind and uh, yeah, get busy, get busy being creative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your, your time with us today. I, I know we were very excited for this interview and, and uh, we praise the Lord for what he's done in your life and pray that he Amen. continues to, uh, uh, to use you as a, an instrument in his hands. So thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, know, you so much. Yeah. As, as we always do, we're just going to close out with a scripture. Um, okay. I thought it'd be just appropriate to read from Colossians chapter three. And above mm -hmm. all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Mm -hmm. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for your time. It was fun. It was great. Great discussion. Well, bless you in your uh, music and in all of the things that you got going on. And just again, just really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. All right. Grace and peace, gentlemen. Yep. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please check out our other podcasts. We are continuing to go through the Augsburg Confession and its usefulness to the church today. God bless you and have a great week. <laughs>